Hey, Roxanne, it's so good to have you with us. And for my friends who don't know Roxanne, she has been a part of our Pflugerville launch team since the very beginning. She's also gone out to El Paso, one of our serving initiatives to engage the ongoing realities at our borders and really to pursue God's heart for all people. So there we you know, connected with Border Patrol. We served our asylum speaking community. We prayed, we lamented, we, we served across the board. And it was really just a transformative season for many of us. What I didn't know about you, Roxanne, was um, the decision to go to El Paso was actually a really difficult one. Do you mind sharing a little bit about why that was? Yes, um, my father was murdered by an immigrant um, a few years back and it just I just had so much anger and resentment um, and just I just didn't think that I would ever be able to reconcile those feelings with the immigrant community. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably and so openly. Uh, we, I mean, as a community, can't even begin to wrap our heads around that experience. So we're grateful for your courage. And as you were sharing a little bit about that, I just got this sense that the choice to go to El Paso was really a choice to die to yourself, to some of the things that you were holding on to. And as you did that, I mean, I'm just wondering, can we hear a little bit more around how you experienced God transforming you? Yes, um, it's definitely, uh, it was a difficult decision. Uh, it was something that I didn't want to do initially. Um, I felt like letting go of that anger was uh, being, I guess unfaithful to my father like I felt like holding on to that anger and resentment somehow uh, showed honor to him but at the same time I knew that my heart was not aligned with God's heart for the immigrant and so it was a really difficult decision um, I just didn't know that Jesus was working to restore me and heal me from all of the anger and brokenness and bitterness that I experienced from that situation. And um, even though I didn't know that, I decided to follow the calling and just chase after God and, and go. Well, I'm really grateful that you did go and you've just been such an encouragement to our community. and. I'm excited uh, because I, I can tell God has just been doing an incredible work of transformation in your life. So I'm really grateful for just your story and for your willingness to share with us. Thanks again, Roxanne. Thank you. What a remarkable story. I mean, Roxanne's willingness to forgive what seems to be unforgivable. You know, these two, along with others, are launching Gateway Pflugerville this Sunday. You can be a part of that. It's an online launch with online uh, groups and recovery and even an online class called Homebound, How to Not Become a Monster. And so if you want to know more, just go to gatewaychurch.com slash Pflugerville. This will be our fifth location in the Austin area. So excited for them. So today we're Looking at this idea, John referenced it, of dying to self, letting go of self. It's such a strange idea, really. I mean, if you were raised in America, you were probably raised to, to be independent and free. I mean, it's in our Declaration of Independence that it's a God-given right to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Now, I know some of us haven't had the same opportunities for life and liberty and even happiness in our country, but even still, there's entrenched cultural norm that we actually make our decisions based on what is best for my life, what will give me more liberty, what will make me happiest. At the same time, there's this completely oppositional idea. Our heroes are those who give up their rights. Have you noticed this? It's like the story of Jesus is being retold over and over and over by our fictional characters. I mean, how many of our superheroes actually sacrifice and seemingly die only to come back again? Iron Man in the first Avengers movie, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Harry Potter. Now, we don't have time to debate whether Harry Potter was the superhero or not. I just know that there are eight films about him and a theme park. But how do you take these two ideas and make sense of them in many ways? I mean, we believe that our heroes are the ones that give up their rights for others. And at the same time, we believe we have the God-given right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, today I want to talk about letting go of self. Letting go of self is counterintuitively the best thing that we can do in these times. Because when we let go of self, it actually frees us to become the person we were created to be, the people we've longed to be. Now, I I invited my aunt who lives in Northwest Austin to, to watch today, and she asked the topic. I told her letting go of self, and she texted back, is that like wearing your pajamas all day and, and never taking a shower? It's like, actually, no, that's letting yourself go. That's a whole other series we might do at some point. Well, what I'm talking about is letting go of self, which frees us to become the confident, self-aware people our dog believes that we are. Instead of struggling with low self-esteem and being needy or arrogance and being demanding. So how do we let go of self? Really, there's four things that we need to do. Letting go of self means letting go of selfishness, letting go of ego, letting go of labels, and letting go of fear. There are two moments in the life of Jesus that will help us, and both take place on this week almost 2,000 years ago. Let me give you some context. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Passion Week. And maybe you've heard that phrase, Passion Play, or the film, The Passion of the Christ. We use the word passion differently than this. When we think of the word passion, we think that we have a a passion for film or a passion for animals or music. And sometimes we exaggerate. We say things like, "I I would die for something we're passionate about. Like, I would die for a chocolate chip cookie from Alamo Draft House. What about you? Well, when you look up the word passion in the dictionary, the number one definition in Merriam-Webster's dictionary is this, the sufferings of Christ. See, what that tells us is that God is passionate about you. That God is willing to give up his life to die for you and for me. So on that Palm Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago, there were many Jewish people who had begun to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the one who would come and rescue them. And many of them had what they thought was a, a political agenda to their Messiah. They thought that the Messiah would actually get rid of the Roman oppressors. But Jesus had a bigger agenda. He came to bring freedom and life to people from every nation. He had a, a spiritual plan in place. And on that Palm Sunday, Jesus did not enter the city riding a horse to bring war, but riding on a donkey, representing coming in peace. And as he rode along, 
the, the city shouted out, the people proclaimed, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They were so excited their Messiah had come and they're shouting out Hosanna, which means save us or we're saved. Think of how good that must have felt to Jesus. Have you ever been cheered? Maybe on the soccer field, at the end of a, a concert or maybe on stage after a performance. I mean, you feel you could just take on the world. But notice how Jesus responds in John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So he gets word to Jesus and Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And we don't have time to talk about the son of man, but I wanna encourage you to, Go to Google later and search for Son of Man Bible Project and watch their fantastic video. But what's happening in this moment, I'm sure, is there's some people that that are hearing Jesus and thinking, finally, this this political Messiah, it's time. He's going to finally reveal the Son of Man's glory. He's going to finally reveal his greatness and take over. But then he says something really peculiar, something that probably surprised them. He said this, I tell you the truth, a grain of wheat must fall to the ground and die to make many seeds. But if it never dies, it remains only a single seed. You see, he sees the Greeks coming to greet him as a sign that it was time to give his life. But some of the disciples that had a political agenda were confused. I mean, Jesus, you're more popular than ever. Why are you talking about death? And why are you talking about farming again? See, Jesus was pointing out a spiritual principle. In order to become the hero we were created to be, we must choose to give our life for the sake of others. How do we let go of self? Well, it means letting go, first of all, of selfishness. Jesus continues in John 12. Those who love their lives will lose them, but those who hate their lives in this world will keep true life forever. This is so counterintuitive. When we hold something too tightly, we break it. But when we let go, we have room for so much more. So what does it mean to let go of self? I mean, shouldn't we be taking care of ourselves? I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? And you can even get spiritual and, and, and bring up the fact that Jesus summarized the message of the scriptures in this way. He said, it's all about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, even Jesus says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So how can this be letting go of yourself? What does that even mean? See, there's a difference between self-confidence and self-awareness versus selfishness and being self-centered. So why should we let go of self? When we let go of self, we are free to become who we were created to be. People who love God and love people. See, we weren't designed to take only take care of ourselves. We were designed for relationship, for creativity, for generating life that lasts. When we live for self, we end up living for only those things that eventually die. But when we die to self, to live for God, God can multiply our lives into the lives of others eternally. See, true freedom comes from letting go and dying to self. We no longer have to prove anything. Instead, we surrender and trust that my worth is not at all about what I do, but who God sees me to be, what he says I'm worth. 
See, the amazing irony of dying to self is that then you're free to truly be who you were always created to be. Free to take risks, to try new things, to use your gifts. And in that process, discover it's all about being who you're created to be. And out of that, we do the good we're called to do. But it requires God being at the center of our life and our self being knocked out of the center of our universe. So how do we let go of self? It also requires letting go of ego. See, when we're only looking out for ourselves and only looking out for our family, we actually end up missing our purpose in life. See, when we're pursuing our own life and liberty or freedom and our own happiness, we end up stepping on or neglecting other people around us. But instead, we find life and true freedom and something even better than happiness called joy when we actually serve others and bring them life and freedom. When we make our decisions based on just how this affects me, we end up neglecting the needs of others and even neglecting to factor in God's perspective. The scriptures talk about this quite a bit, but they use the words pride and humility. Listen to this warning from Proverbs about pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Or this verse in the New Testament, when Peter writes, followers of Jesus, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have you felt anxious in the midst of this pandemic? It takes humility to take those anxieties to God and ask for help. What I've discovered in my own life is that worrying is like praying to yourself. See, our mind just keeps going and going and we're trying to solve all the problems when instead we need to stop, give these anxieties to God and ask him for guidance and direction and he'll give us peace in the midst of that. And then the guidance he might even lead us towards finding help from those around us. See, God warns us about pride because it's, hurtful to us and to others. Think about this for a moment. What do we call someone who thinks too highly of himself? We call that person proud. What do we call someone who's thinking too lowly of him or herself? Well, we say they have a low self-esteem. What these both have in common is they're thinking about themselves. Erwin McManus, a friend and mentor from my days in Los Angeles, pointed this out that pride shows itself in two ways. You're either thinking too highly of yourself or too lowly, but in both cases, you're thinking about yourself. And when we think so much about ourselves, we miss what God might have right in front of us. We miss so much of what he wants for us. See, God opposes pride because pride is insatiable. Think of the most egotistical person you know. Have you ever tried to, to give them what they want? Were, were they satisfied at that point? Of course not. They demanded more and more. See, that egotistical pride is insatiable. We can never get enough. It can never actually be met. But when you look to yourself and only yourself to meet your needs, you'll end up incredibly lonely and never live up to your full potential. If you look to others but don't include God, you could end up being disappointed or hurt or even angry. Remember, God created you to love him 
and love people. But unfortunately, culture breeds skepticism and our past leads to cynicism. And as a result, we end up rejecting the very people God has sent to help us. Pride limits who we're willing to even listen to. Are you really an expert in everything? Are you willing to humble yourself to learn from others who may be a few steps ahead? Are you truly your own spiritual authority? Are you willing to listen to others and even listen to God's message to you through the scriptures? See, here's the antidote to pride. It's humility. It's thinking about others more than you think about yourself. But, but it's even more than that. Uh, when you look up the word humility in English, it doesn't really help us. The first definition said a person who's humble. That, that doesn't help at all. The second time I looked up humility, it said a, modest, a person who sees himself with a modest or low view of importance. Well, that sounds too much like thinking too lowly of yourself. But listen to the biblical definition from the biblical languages of the word humility. A humble person is a person who depends on the Lord rather than self. A humble person has a deep sense of one's need for God. So you might have an unhealthy pattern, even an unhealthy relationship in your life right now. And if you just keep trying to fix it yourself, it will never make progress. Only when you humble yourself to ask God for help, humble yourself to ask others for help, can you see transformation. See, letting go of ego means choosing humility instead of pride. Do you find yourself just thinking about yourself and you're just your immediate family? Begin to think about others as well. Do you find yourself trying to fix your own problems? Consider God's perspective and how he might be sending others even to help you. Well, letting go of self also means letting go of labels. Oftentimes this is hard because we don't know who we are. We don't know what will satisfy us. So we label ourselves and label others and others label us. Now I grew up in the 1980s and yes, it was a lot like Stranger Things. I mean, we wore the same clothes. We didn't have any of the demogorgons or anything quite like that. Now those kids are the class of 1989. I am the class of 1990. We are Trojans, strong and mighty, class of 1990. Let me show you some pictures of me and my cousins back in the 80s. You'll notice we all have the exact same haircut as Will from Stranger Things. Let let me show you me and my cousins now, more recently. Yeah, I'm not standing in a hole. I'm just vertically challenged. Uh, My mom is a hobbit. You see, she's four feet, 11 inches tall, and she has hairy feet. I'm just kidding about the feet. But but would you like second breakfast? But recently, I'm so inspired by my parents. They just celebrated their 50th anniversary, and we couldn't do the big party we had planned, so we surprised them with a, a video chat on Zoom. It ended up being such a sweet call that an ad agency used it in a Facebook commercial, of all things. So back to the 1980s. We had labels in my high school. There were the jocks. There were the skaters, the nerds. And I didn't like any of these labels. See, I was an athletic young man, but I was a bit on the shorter side. And because I love football, I joined the marching band so I could go to every single game and never get hurt. I even pulled together the guys in band and we would play football and we would destroy the guys in choir. I mean, we just completely annihilated the guys in drama. But then we played the football team. Big mistake. The guy who plays French horn broke his collarbone. It was not good. Even still, in the midst of all that, I came up with my own label. You see, I 
was a band jock. Now, labels aren't actually helpful to us because labels limit us. Rather than letting others label us or even labeling ourselves, we need to instead discover our true identity. I want you to notice how self-aware Jesus was in the second moment in John chapter 13. Remember, Jesus had just told his disciples, hey, I know it's my time to give up my life. Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. And notice what it says. It's so unique, this description. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Think about that. He completely understood his identity and where he was from and where he was going. What would you do with that kind of self-awareness, with that kind of power? Right? You'd probably want everyone to start meeting your needs, make others listen to you. You'd finally get to choose the movie on Disney+. Plus. This isn't what Jesus did at all. Instead, in his moment of clarity, Jesus served. Notice what it says, very next verse. So he got up from the table, from the meal, and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You wouldn't think this is what the son of God would do, a prophet would do, a rabbi would do, but this is exactly what Jesus did. He knew who he was and he was here to serve and serve us. So you don't need a label. What you need to know is your identity. Let me share with you your identity. You were created in the image of God. You are loved by God. You've been given a purpose by God and you need God. Here's the amazing thing. No matter where you may be on your spiritual journey, God believes in you even if you don't yet believe in him. But here's the thing. God gives us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. This isn't about religion. It's not about doing enough good things to outweigh the bad. Even before we did anything bad or even anything good, God created you and wants a relationship with you. You have to ask yourself, do you want a relationship with him? The one who created you, designed you, the one who's the author of peace and joy and love. See, the path towards discovering who we were created to be is a path that involves knowing God and loving him and loving people. When we say yes to follow him, we then start to do good things out of gratitude because we're so thankful. You see, we don't do good things to get him to love us because he already loves us. So you and I can grow to have a faith that's bigger than our circumstances, bigger than the circumstances of things that are happening around us or even those things that are happening to us. To begin that relationship, it's really simple. Just say, yes, God, I need you. Forgive me. Jesus, lead me. Now, I know it's important to understand that there's one God and and he was able to reveal himself as a person named Jesus. And it's hard for us to understand because we're stuck in these three dimensions, but God is not limited as we are. See, there is one God And he has the power to create the universe. He has the capacity to live within those who follow him as spirit. And he had the ability to step into time and space as a human being. See, Jesus is God 
with skin. And he humbled himself, becoming an infant, helpless. But he grew up to become a man who taught with authority, who brought healing and created a a family of outcasts and had incredible popularity and even still gave it all up. Humbled himself to be betrayed, arrested, falsely accused, beaten, stripped, whipped, humiliated, and nailed to a cross. Dying on behalf of all of humanity taking evil upon himself. But he walked through death and rose to live again on that third day. See, Jesus is alive and gives us hope that God is with us, that he truly was God walking among us. See, and it's not just the way that Jesus ended his life by dying and living again, but that's how he lived his life. He was always sacrificing on behalf of others. And he invites us to do the same. So you and I need to experience the death of the old selfish life in order to experience the beautiful new life in Jesus. We need to experience the suffering of the crucifixion in our own hearts so that we can experience the joy of the resurrection. Now notice what Jesus taught those who followed him. He said this in Luke 9. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I lose my life serving all the time. I'm burned out. People are taking advantage of me. You know, that happened to me as well. And what I began to realize is I wasn't serving out of the overflow of my relationship with God. I was actually serving other people for what I could get out of it, for their praise, for their accolades. And when we do that, we will always end up burned out. But instead, serve out of the overflow. See, Jesus invites us to do what we can only do with his help in order that we might depend on him. And here's the beautiful thing. When you decide to follow Jesus, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within you, his spirit. And we go out to love and serve and influence, make disciples with his authority because he is with us. So how do we let go of self? What also means letting go of fear. I mean, right now, there's reasons to be afraid. It's rational to experience fear. We're living in unprecedented times. And this will be devastating to so many of us. And right now, if we're honest, there's many of us that are just kind of annoyed at this point, right? Sheltering in place. You know, we never wanted to work from home and we certainly never wanted to homeschool. But for others of you, This has been incredibly difficult. There's some of you that are serving on the front lines. And for that, we are incredibly grateful. There are others of you that that have already been sick or you might even have pre-existing conditions. And so this has been really scary. Others of you might have found yourself to be incredibly lonely. Some of us are, are terrified, fearing for our future, our family, or even just getting groceries. Some of us have lost jobs, lost businesses. Some of you are stuck in an unhealthy situation at home. And I want you to know that we want to be here for you. You can contact us. In fact, if you're struggling in any way, just go to gatewaychurch.com slash get help. We're here to serve you in this season. Wherever you may be in this season, whether you chose it or not, we're all having to learn to let go of control, let go of more, and let go of self. 
Letting go means asking God for help and asking others for help. Did you know that Americans are praying now more than we've ever prayed? At least in a generation. I even found a statistic. 24% of those who have no religious affiliation have now started praying. So how do we pray? What can we pray in this season? Well, the disciples asked Jesus that. And some of us as kids may have memorized this prayer. I don't want the familiarity to get in the way of its meaning. So listen with fresh ears. Jesus said, pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, it's a prayer that reminds us daily, constantly, that God is our Father who protects us, who provides for us, who forgives us. And we're reminded as those who follow Jesus that it's our mission to bring heaven to earth wherever we may be. And we're also to be those who forgive and forgive first in every relationship. But what does it mean to hallowed be your name? I never really understood this until a couple weeks ago. I was listening to the Bible Project podcast and they interviewed a professor, a theologian, a scholar named Dr. Carmen Imes. And she said it in a way that really made sense to me. You remember that Old Testament commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain? And when I grew up, I heard that and, and thought it meant just don't say God or Jesus like a profanity. And that's why some of us still say, oh my gosh, which is good. It's better than using those names as profanity, but, but it's way, way more than that. You see, when you and I say yes to God, we take on ourselves his name. We are his representatives. A, a simpler way to say it is, don't refer to yourself as a Christian if you're not trying to live like Christ. See, the word Christian literally means little Christ. Unfortunately, we live in a world where that word Christian has become associated with people who are judgmental or hypocritical or angry or, and political. And some of you have been hurt by people like that. And if that's the case, I am so sorry you've been through that. And I want to encourage you not to like, let the evil choices of other people keep you from becoming the person that God has created you to be. But there's other people throughout history that have represented Jesus well. I think of the early church in Acts chapter two where they would sell their property and take the money in order to meet the needs of those around them. Or even throughout church history, there were plagues and it was believers, followers of Jesus that would stay back during the Roman Empire in AD 300 to help those who were sick, even as everyone else fled. Or in the 1600s, the same thing happened in Europe. And in 2019, the same thing happened in Wuhan in China. Followers of Jesus there are often oppressed. But in the midst of this, everyone wearing masks, being told to stay home, followers of Jesus would serve their neighbors, risking their life to do so. And sharing the reason behind that was because they loved Jesus. And they felt more freedom because the surveillance cameras could not distinguish who they were because their face was covered with this mask. So why would followers of Jesus take so seriously serving, even if it meant giving up their own rights, their own safety to serve others. It's because followers of Jesus believe this is not the only life. There is more to come and it's even better because the future is being in the presence of God for all eternity. See, we are citizens of heaven and we're to bring heaven to earth wherever we do and wherever we go.
See, what's after this life gives us hope and bringing heaven to earth gives us purpose. And you know, I've seen that in you. Many of you as part of Gateway, you have demonstrated, you've carried the name of Jesus really well. You know, several of you, many of you have started giving more because you knew that others couldn't give as much. In fact, there's a, a group of people that have already started rallying their friends here at Gateway to give their stimulus checks once they come in and completely donate all of it to what God is doing through our church. We used to have one food pantry drop-off location. Now we have four. Many of you have reached out and served your neighbors, loved on your neighbors. More of you have signed up for Give Help online at gatewaychurch.com. Many people have even approached me and asked, how can we stand with our Asian American brothers and sisters who have faced unwarranted racism and oppression in the midst of all of this? Some of you have even signed up to, to host What's After Life conversations online. You're inviting those people you've given books to and, and those you're giving books to even this week as neighbors or people that you work with if you're still out there working. And it's not too late to do that. All you have to do is text the word heaven to 80123 and we'll give you details on how to do that. Some of you have been inviting friends and family to join us online. Let's all do that for Easter next week. See, when you and I decide to let go of self, acknowledge we need God, acknowledge that we want to give away our life to serve others, we're transformed. And those we love are transformed as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you love us. You have purpose for us. And that you created us to be interdependent, that we need you and we need others. Help us to become people who do just that, who carry your name well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.